Shawty, what's all with y'all? Oh, hi. Coming to say you're lucky, fine. We got to cutting it off. It she know about the kid and fuck on my line. I'ma keep it up all with y'all. But Shawty, I'm trying to make you mine. Don't make it too easy, I wanna try. She looking too good, can't let it go by. Oh, yeah. Think I won the lotto. This slow mulatto. She could be a model. She wanna show me some. Think I won the lotto. Already, very special episode today of the Love Cast. We got a quick announcement coming up, and then we're gonna have Jordan come on. And we're going to talk about our very busy weekend in sports, starting with some NBA news and then finishing up with the Masters. As for that special announcement, we are now bringing Peyton Gravel, host of Peyton's POV, on to do a third segment on our Lovecast show. And that segment's going to be with me and her, and we're going to be talking about baseball. You guys will learn more about this segment next week when Peyton debuts the segment on the episode itself. But for now, what I will tell you is that it's going to be a baseball show with me and Peyton. We're going to be covering various MLB news. And Peyton's really awesome at this. And you should check out her work, which will be linked in the link tree in our description. But I'm very excited for the show. So stay tuned for that. And now let's get to Jordan. Alrighty, here with Jordan. And this was, uh, I mean, Easter is supposed to be a peaceful day, correct, Jordan? I, I, I thought so. I thought so too. And it was the complete opposite. We had two teammate fights. And, and that was just in one day, um, yesterday, obviously I'm alluding to first my favorite team to talk about because of how angry it gets other people. The Clippers, um, Mason Plumley and Bones Highland got into it on the bench, uh, ended up working out for them. They ended up getting the win, although maybe they shouldn't have gotten the win and slipped down to the seventh instead. Nonetheless, they clean, they reclaim the fifth seed and they will be going on to face the round one in round one, they'll be going on to face the Phoenix Suns with KD and without Paul George for at least the beginning of that series. Um, let's talk about that real quick. That's was that the wrong decision? There was you sh- should they have lost and taken the seventh seed instead? I think so, but me too. I also I understand the kind of drive and the almost ego and pride to not just throw in the towel. Um, but yeah, now they're going up against the Suns, and I really, really like the Suns in this series. Like, I don't, I don't see the Clippers coming out of this at all. I, I wanted to. I also like like the Suns a ton, and I wanted to go bet it. And it's minus six hundred. The Suns are yeah. minus six hundred to win the series. <laughs> so, and that's just to win the series, which is that's a very heavy. That might be one of well, the biggest. That's honestly crazy. I didn't even know. I didn't think it would be that. Um, sh- I don't know if it should be that. I don't know if it should be that because the Suns have no bench really. And the Clippers yeah. are a lot deeper of a team, but KD is eight and zero in every Suns game he's played. He's eight and zero every game he's played. Yeah. They've won, so I don't know, man. I I do think they get the win there. I think that was a mistake for the Clippers. Uh, transitioning now to the other teammate fight, this one was the bigger one. This one we're gonna get into. Rudy Gobert, Kyle Anderson get into a heated exchange, and then Rudy punches Kyle Anderson in the chest. Um, he ends up getting sent home from that game and it will be suspended for the first game and will not even be traveling with the team to, um, I believe they're playing the Pelicans, correct? In the play-in. No, that's who they were playing last night. They're playing, they're playing the Lakers. Um, and yeah, so I think the Lakers get that done very easily. And it actually, I think the Lakers might even make the playoffs, but this was a huge altercation with huge repercussions. What did you take away from this altercation, Jordan? I mean, I took away a lot. Let's just, break it down pretty fully so for anyone who doesn't know the report is that anderson told gobert shut the f up bitch uh (laughs) causing rudy gobert to throw a pretty full force punch at anderson's chest 
Um, the report I'm reading says it, it didn't land with much force, which I agree with from the video. It didn't seem like it, it really hurt Kyle Anderson, but obviously when you throw a punch, I mean, that's, that's a big deal regardless of how hard it hits. But to me, this just says a lot about um, Rudy Gobert and his place within the Timberwolves. I just think calling your teammate a bitch, um, especially as Kyle Anderson, uh, not no, no shade to Kyle Anderson. He's a good player, but Role players really don't usually talk to to stars and leaders of the team that way. So what what does that tell you about Rudy? To me, that tells you he's not a star and he's definitely not a leader on that team. I don't think he has the respect of his teammates. Um, I don't think Kyle Anderson would have said this to Anthony Edwards or Carl Anthony Towns. And I think if Kyle Anderson did say this to to one of those two guys, I think everyone would have taken this the star's side. And in this case. I don't think anyone really stood up for Rudy. I mean, <laughs> obviously he's a he's the one who threw the punch, but I don't know. It just it says a lot to me about this trade, the fit with Rudy on this team, the respect um and the feelings around the locker room about his presence being there. So I think his teammates just don't really see him as a super important piece for them and and they could kind of live without him, I think. Yeah, I just want to hit on a couple of things there. One I think Kyle Anderson is one of the older guys on the team and is very respected and well-liked. And two, I think you saw that in the response. If you see the video, Torian Prince gets up off the chair, off the bench and shoves Rudy and like gets him out of there. Everyone pulls Rudy away. Kyle Anderson went to go chase Rudy down. It seemed like everyone was on Rudy's side and they actually ended up, I believe they ended up winning that game. They did end up winning that game. Yeah. Anthony Edwards, unreal performance. Exactly. So I think like you said, Rudy Gobert is not a star. At best right now, he's an above-average role player, maybe an average role player. He was playing injured. He did have a hurt back. So, I mean, it is tough to be getting yelled at about three. If you watch three defensive possessions before, he kind of he had like a little offensive turnover that was kind of off a bad pass from Cat. And then he missed two transitions on defense. Like he had opportunities to block the shot, and he did not. And then they called that timeout, and going into the timeout is when they got into the altercation. I can understand Rudy being upset at Kyle Anderson for what he said and because he's playing hurt and those defensive lapses weren't all his fault. They were kind of the whole team. But, I mean, I don't know. You don't punch your teammate, and this is the second team that Rudy Gobert has been on where he's had troubles with his teammates. Not a good look for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And even worse news coming out of Minnesota as from that was Jaden McDaniels gets two quick fouls, gets frustrated and punches a wall and breaks his hand. Um, no timetable for his return right now. I do believe he's probably out for the rest of the postseason. I would imagine with a broken hand, that's kind of a tough injury to have. Um, and when you get it from punching, it's usually a boxer's fracture, which I've personally had. And it takes like three or four weeks to heal minimum. So he's going to be out for a while. And yeah, just awful news coming out of Minnesota for a team that seems pretty dysfunctional, but was still managed to win, which is interesting. Um, this Rudy Gobert thing really brings up to us this Rudy Gobert trade in general. This trade has been clearly the worst trade in possibly NBA history, but in the in modern times, easily it's been the worst trade. I believe I do think it's the worst trade in NBA history, without a doubt. I don't think you trade any one of the players that you gave away for Rudy straight up, let alone the entire package that you gave away in general. Um, for example, what's his face? The big guy for Utah, um, the big white dude who looks looks like our friend Trey Ravenel. I forget his name right now, but um, I saw him when he played for. Walker Kessler. I saw him when he played for Auburn. 
Um, he came to Tennessee and I saw him like front row. That guy was amazing. Remember how high I was on him last draft? Um, yeah. he's, I wouldn't trade him for Rudy straight up. Walker Kessler has been amazing. So, um, we wanted to go back and actually look at the worst trades in modern NBA history, which we categorized as 2015. That's the year that the splash brothers rose to prominence and changed the game from what it, from what it was, uh, previously to what it is now and what is considered the modern NBA. Um, so we're going to talk about the worst trades and just kind of revisit those awful trades. So we'll start with you, Jordan. What was your first worst trade that you found in modern NBA history? All right. Yeah. So worst one for me, you can call me biased all you want, but I think uh, the Cavs sending Kyrie to the Celtics for, for the return that they got was one of the worst trades um, in modern NBA history. So just to revisit that, the trade was Kyrie Irving, uh, to the Celtics for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, and Brooklyn's uh, 2018 first-round pick. Um, that's what the Cavs got, and obviously the Celtics got Kyrie. So the reason that this was such a, a flop, um, looking back at it now, is because Isaiah Thomas uh, was a huge piece of that trade. He was by far the biggest piece of that trade on the Celtics side. Um just that year, that was after the 2016-2017 finals when LeBron and Kyrie and the Cavs all lost to KD and the Warriors. Obviously, Kyrie demands a trade. Um, and that season, Isaiah Thomas averaged 29 points. He was third in the scoring race. He was Mr. Fourth Quarter. We loved him in Boston, all that. But he ended up getting hurt. He missed uh, a good chunk of the playoffs. I think he missed maybe it was just the Eastern Conference Finals. But anyways... IT was was thought to be just uh kind of a, a tier below Kyrie Irving as a player at that point. And once he got traded to the Cavs and he came back from that injury, he wasn't even close to what he was before. And he was definitely not close to replacing Kyrie Irving. I think the Cavs were expecting Isaiah to come back and and give them, you know, 22, 23 points a game and and for the Cavs to contend again and have a real good chance at winning another title. And the Cavs did get back to the finals, but it was not because of Isaiah Thomas. So he, he ended up scoring 15 points a game for them. Um, they basically didn't really get anything for Kyrie. Um, even though Kyrie's trade value at the time was sky high. Okay. This trade was awful for both teams as well. Cause you can argue this Kyrie trade really set back the Celtics for a I while. Agree. Yeah, I, I agree. Mean, they wasted a year of Tatum and Brown in what seemed like the worst possible locker room in the NBA at that time, it, all the stories that have come out afterwards about how awful it was in there and how miserable everyone was, Kyrie really made it, really left a really bad impression on Boston and that this impression could last for us for a while. I think he really hurt the options for players to come here because he labeled us a racist city. He also just, you know, he said a lot of things about the city and you know, made it seem like it was a terrible place and people respect Kyrie. And I think he made it so that a lot of players are hesitant to come to the Celtics. It took us a couple of years to bounce back from that. Um, after that, it was the Kemba uh, time frame, I guess. And then we kind of had to rebuild through everything where to get back on track. And we're there now, but that certainly set us back. And I think it's very interesting to think about what our team would have looked like if we had not picked up Kyrie and not to mention trading Isaiah also left a bad taste in a lot of players' mouths. Um, a lot of players worry about loyalty from the Boston upper management regime just because Danny was willing to trade anyone no matter what. 
He traded Isaiah Thomas, who played when his sister passed. He played. He traded Isaiah Thomas, who gave everything he had for the city. Ultimately, it was the right move, and I hate when people shit on this move because you would have done that trade too if this was your team, uh, 100%. Their writing was on the wall. Isaiah Thomas was a five foot nine point guard. Those guys do not last in the NBA. The toll that the NBA takes on their body due to their size is too great for them to last, and we knew what we were getting with Kyrie, or at least we thought we knew. We didn't actually end up getting that. Um, he came with a lot of baggage that we weren't privy to until it started unraveling, and it really ripped this organization apart, and we're still sort of feeling you know, the effects of it, and I hope eventually it clears itself up, but I don't know. The, the, he kind of walked for Jalen to run and talk about how bad the city as well is as well. So um, this was an awful trade. And a good first pick for you, Jordan. Um, my first pick is going to be one I, again, I'm shitting on the Clippers again, as you guys know, one of my favorite things to do because I think this team is just crazily run. And I think there should be a 30 for 30 on from Lob City till now, the Clippers, because this team has been insane. And this trade really opened my eyes to some things. And this trade is the Paul George to the Clippers trade. The trade to recover re- recap is the Clippers receive... Paul George, OKC receives SGA, Danilo Gallinari, a 2021 unprotected first round pick, which became the 18th pick, which was Trey Mann, a 2022 unprotected first round uh, pick, which became Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, and then a 2023 protected first round, sorry, yeah, protected first round pick, and a 2024 unprotected first, and a 2026 unprotected first. Um, That was just all for Paul George. This trade... I think is one of the most fascinating ones that we've covered in the modern history. Um, It really worked for the Thunder who they begin to cap off their now they just have a ton of trades and that this is what started that they have a bunch of picks to work with. Um, They are going to be loading up for the future. I think their plan is to solidify what their team is and then trade those picks for proven vets to fill in the holes. Um, This team is really interesting. I mean, SGA is a proven star. He averaged 31.4 points per game this season, which was fourth in the NBA. The Thunder are currently playing in the play-in tournaments. Well, the Clippers are the first seed, sorry, the fifth seed, and will be taking on the Suns in round one, which is one of the scariest matchups you can have. Um, So they do have the potential to lose in this first round. And I think Jalen Williams as well, he's runner-up for Rookie of the Year votes right now. Some people even have him as Rookie of the Year, which is insane. It should still be Paolo no matter what. But Jalen Williams is an insane rookie, and... They still have the infrastructure and the picks to possibly draft Victor Wembanyama. I think they might be a little bit out of that sweepstakes now, but they do have the opportunity with the lottery to get Victor Wembanyama as well. This is absolutely insane. This this trade from Paul George really kickstarted their rebuild and and started them off on the right foot. Um, SGA is a proven star, and he's going to be a star in this league for a very long time. And I think since this trade, the Clippers have lost in the second round in the 2019-2020 season. They lost in the Western Conference Finals in the 2020-2021 season. And then they lost twice in the play-in to miss the playoffs last year. This, to me, is a do-or-die year for the for the Clippers. And I do think they're going to die in the first round pulling that Suns uh, matchup. So how do you feel about that, Jordan? Yeah, I think, obviously, when you look at all these picks uh, – and Shea, it's a huge haul for the Thunder, completely set themselves up for the future. But the one slight pushback I think you could have yeah. saying why this wasn't um, the worst trade is because I don't think Kawhi Leonard ever signs 
in in Los Angeles unless the uh, Clippers make this move to get Paul George, right? So Kawhi needed another star to be in L.A., and he specifically asked for it to be Paul George. So the Clippers, I think, kind of looked at this as, okay, we trade all this stuff for Kawhi and Paul George rather than just Paul George. But I do still think it's a really bad trade because – even with Kawhi and Paul George, the Clippers, I think their title window has closed. I don't think they're going to win a title with those two guys. And now you look at what Shea has become, um, being an all-NBA guy now, and I, I think a perennial all-NBA guy most likely, seeing how well he's played and, and how far he's come as a player. And then all these picks, obviously Jalen Williams, like you mentioned, is enough to to make you throw up when you look at this trade because of how good he's going to be. But then – you look at all these other picks and they haven't been used yet. These three other picks, the Thunder can really, really set themselves up and become, you know, a, a contender once their picks either flush out or they can trade these picks and go get a star. So, yeah. So the first caveat, obviously, is that Kawhi Leonard doesn't come to the Clippers, like you mentioned. And that's that alone makes this trade um, like great, I guess, incomplete because, I mean, as long as Kawhi is in town and playing at the level that he's playing right now, I mean, you're always open for a championship. He he brought that Toronto team a championship by himself. So, I mean, first off, side note, we are so lucky to be getting KD versus Ka- Kawhi in round one. The playoff yeah. matches matchups are just absurd this year. Um, but yeah, so that's a good point. That's a good thing to mention that I forgot to mention is that Ka- Kawhi would not have come to the Clippers if it wasn't for this trade. And yeah, I agree with everything you said. The other thing is that 2026 pick is the one that I'm really looking at. That pick can become very inherently valuable if, you know, the Clippers start to blow it up, so to say. Yeah. They lose in the first round this year, maybe lose in the in an early round next year. That 2026 year when maybe they are really bad and blow something up, that can make for a very valuable pick for a team that would just be hitting their stride in OKC. Those guys would be entering their young prime. If that's an upper lottery pick that they can flip, for another star, you know, or at least a very valuable veteran role player to fill them out. I mean, that could really be a big, just a big move for them. Um, obviously, it's hard, easier to say that now. That's, uh, you know, projecting the next four years, but still in, insane trade, in my opinion. And I, I thought it was very fascinating to look through it. Yeah, I agree. Give, give me your next two trades. Okay. Uh, so first one is Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. We've talked so much about Russ and the Lakers, obviously, on this podcast, but the trade was the the Lakers gave up Kuzma, KCP, Montrez Harrell, um, a 2021 first, uh, and then they received Russell Westbrook and two second rounders, one in 2024, one in 2028. So I think even though the Lakers gave up a lot of assets for Westbrook, the main thing that this trade cost them, in my opinion, was just time. Um, in terms of LeBron's career, in terms of Anthony Davis. And we don't know how many more years we're going to get out of LeBron's prime. And as long as LeBron is on your team, you have to make the most of every year. And as soon as Westbrook got there, they were completely set up for failure. I think it was impossible to to win a championship with Westbrook on that team. Um, so I would say Russ pretty much cost the Lakers – a year and a half or, or however long he was there of LeBron's prime or whatever you want to call this, if, if this isn't his prime, but the the final years of his prime is what I would call it. Um, he just never fit with the team. He couldn't space the floor, didn't defend. 
Um, LeBron, obviously, and Russ are two ball dominant guys. They don't they don't work well together. But anyways, next trade. Do you want to comment on that one or you want me to go into the next one? I'll talk. Yeah, let's talk about that one. Um, I thought the rest trade real quick. I mean, there's not much to say that hasn't been said already. We've covered this trade a ton, like you mentioned. This trade really set the Lakers up in a scenario that I thought they could never get out of. Honestly, it's masterful what they were able to do since the trade deadline or at the trade deadline rather. And then since then with just how successful they've been and how good they've looked. A lot of that uh, obviously is the performance of AD. He's just been off the walls right now. And LeBron's still playing insane for being 40 plus years old, which is nuts or 38. I don't know how old LeBron is, but he's super old. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's just insane what they've been able to do and how they've been able to have fixed it. Seeing as this Russell Westbrook trade really set them back and I thought it was going to be, you know, very costly. And I thought it was going to cause LeBron to, you know, begin to look at his options and maybe even move on. So good pick there. This trade was crazy. Yeah. Um, next one, also fairly recent one, like the Russ one, is I have Harden to the Nets. So the Nets gave up a 2022, 2024, and 2026 first round pick. They also gave up pick swaps with Houston in 2021, 23, 25, and 27. And on top of all that, they gave up Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. So the to me, the Harden, KD, Kyrie Nets are the biggest what if in my lifetime that I've ever watched as a team that, that never made it. Um, these three guys played 16 games together. I thought when, when Harden joined that team, I thought they were a super – team i thought they were going to win at least one championship i thought they were gonna like waltz to a championship the year that that harden joined um but obviously that doesn't end up happening 16 games together they never got past the second round um and on top of this the guys they gave up jared allen goes on to to become this all-star center and a great piece on the Cavs, who the nets could really use right now not only as a as a trade piece and a valuable asset but Anyone, any any NBA team would love to have Jared Allen on their team. And then uh, Karis LeVert, he, he, I don't think uh, Cleveland is the right spot for him, but he is a good player. He's a good uh, wing player that they gave up. So the Nets now, obviously, they're completely rebuilding. They they completely mortgage their future with this trade, um, you know, for, for a chance to contend. And I understand that because, like I said, I thought they, they were going to do more than contend. I thought they were going to win a ring, but – it's just looking back at it. It's so hard. And now you end up with Ben Simmons, who honestly might not even be a starter in the league anymore. I think maybe in a, in a few years, we might be saying he doesn't even belong in the league. So pretty much they gave up five years worth of picks and two pretty good players for Andre Drummond, Andre Drummond, Seth Curry, and whatever you think is left of Ben Simmons. So, I mean, I had the exact... Um, well, actually not the exact same, but very similar. And it was the Ben Simmons to the Nets trade, which we'll get into that a little bit later for this Harden trade. I mean, you're right. This, this Brooklyn Nets team is going to go down as one of the weirdest and most fascinating teams in the history of the NBA. We don't trade the three big players that they trade like that. Like KD doesn't usually get traded. Um, you know, Harden, like even how good Harden was from Houston, that that type yeah. of player was traded. A former MVP. Think about it. Like two, I got, yeah, Kyrie was an MVP. So like three former MVPs on one team, all of them are in their prime. Um, it, I, I remember thinking that it's over for the NBA. It's done. Um, they're going to win. They're going to be the new 
Warriors at, for a decade, and it's yeah. absolutely insane how this team ended up. You're right, Jared Allen would be perfect on this team because they kind of just build up with a bunch of like six seven to six nine, sorry six four to six nine players, um, yeah. and then a couple of guards with Seth Curry. So they it would be good. Um, this team just like you said fell apart, and yeah, so that brings up my. Ben Simmons to the Nets trade as going to be the final trade that we talked about tonight. The trade was the Nets received Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, an unprotected first, which turned into David Roddy, which was pick 23, who got traded to Memphis. And David Roddy's pretty good. Um, and then a 2027 unprotected first that can be deferred to 2028 or rolled into 2029, but would become two seconds and a $9 million. Um, the Sixers received James Harden and Paul Millsap. I mean, this trade... For the Nets, it literally just ended up being Seth Curry because he's the only active member of the Nets currently. Bill Ben Simmons has been sent home for a year. He doesn't play basketball anymore, and I think he's going to be out of the league next year. I really do. Um, he's just a crazy story as well. This trade also kickstarted the beginning of the end for the team itself um, with the big three in one of the most tumultuous and upsetting fashions in NBA history because um, the, the big three of KD, Kyrie, Ben Simmons all eventually ended up leaving that team leaving it where it is now for the Sixers. This was just an easy and genius winning move for Dale Morey. He had this asset and Ben Simmons that people thought was completely untradeable. And not only was Daryl Morey able to trade Ben Simmons when everyone told him that it wasn't going to happen, he traded him for his guy since his time in Houston, which was James Harden. Um, and now the Sixers are poised to make a finals run and they look the best that they've ever looked. So this trade was insane extremely detrimental for the nets and there's going to be a documentary made about these this team one day because this is truly one of something we've never seen before and i hope we don't see anything like it yeah i think this one honestly reminds me a little bit of the the Kyrie to the celtics one that i talked about because of um what isaiah was before the trade and then what he was after the trade yep and it reminds me of how ben simmons was on the sixers and when you think of the all-star level player Ben Simmons was obviously he was flawed and he couldn't shoot ever. And he also sat out for however long he did. And he had that weird whole thing going on. But I think when you saw the the Nets make this trade, you could at least see um, you could see what they were going for. And Simmons was supposed to be at, at least a, a solid player. He's, he's never going to be James Harden. He was never going to be James Harden, but I think myself, and a lot of people that follow the league thought, okay, well, if they can't keep Harden, at least they get a good defender in Simmons and a good playmaker and a good scorer. But then you look at what Simmons has become, and it's it's really just uh, an unplayable NBA player at this point. I think NBA player is a strong term for him. I don't even I don't think he is an <laughs> NBA player. I think unless he ends up at the in the like on the Spurs team where there's no you know media attention really, and he can kind of just work in silence. I think that's the only kind of way I see him coming back. Other than that, I do not see him playing basketball anymore because he does not seem to like it. And I think this is a mental issue more than anything. And those issues are the hardest to fix. So, um, yeah, this was, this felt like I've, I'm kind of bummed out right now. I don't know. This was, I, this, I came into this episode extremely happy, but these trades were, these were some bummer <laughs> trades. You sad. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it's just like hindsight's 2020. It's so much easier to kind of sit here from now and be like, uh, that's, that was the wrong move. That was the wrong move. That was the wrong yeah. move. I think we, we both we probably should have prefaced it by saying like <laughs> it's it's easy for us to do this like 
we're not NBA GMs. Yeah. Um, if I was running a, an NBA team, I'm sure we'd be in the tank. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Me too. I, I think we were doing this more as like a history project just to look yeah. back at, you know, what went wrong. I do think that we, cause we had the show at the time when we agreed that Ben Simmons to Ben Simmons for James Harden was not a good trade. I, I didn't, I no, was, well, especially, especially cause Simmons hadn't played for so long. Exactly. Exactly. That was really what turned me off of him. I, I, I was not into him and I thought, um, I wasn't going to touch him with like a million foot stick if I was an NBA. Right. Team. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just thought I didn't, I didn't see it being this bad. That's all. I, I that, didn't love the trade obviously, but I didn't, I didn't think it would turn into Simmons not being able to be a contributor at all. Yeah, that's 100% fair. I don't think anyone saw that happening. So, um, all right, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the Masters. All right, Jordan, let's talk about the Masters because, I mean, we love, we both love the Masters. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to watch them every year. I just, God, I really love them. I hope one day we're, we're able to win the lottery and go because that'd be so much fun. Yeah. Um, and I think this is one of the most one of the best masters we've had. Do you agree with that? I thought it was a very fun one. I think the weather delay kind of screwed everything up, obviously, but um, I think there was drama, there was storylines and I believe the right guy won. Do you agree yeah, with that? I, I, I kind of disagree that it was one of the best ones we've ever had. Um, I think it was better than last year's, but the weather definitely hurt it a little bit for me. And I also think the way Sunday kind of came down the stretch was, a little anticlimactic, but still it's, it's always a great tournament no matter what happens. So it was, it was still awesome. Yeah, that's fair. I think, I think what I meant more was that it was shaping up to be the best. And then, like you said, that Saturday really just put a kink in things. It just kind of stalled everything. And I think it lost a little bit of the momentum it had yeah. for me personally. Um, Going into it, let's just kind of recap a little bit, kind of day by day. Uh, Day one, you see a guy by the name of, what's his name? Sam Bennett, right? And Bennett, four and Bennett, under. four under the amateur, shooting like crazy. It's basically him and Victor Hovland all day, back and forth, um, looking very good. Sam Bennett has a great story. Um, a young amateur, twenty-one years old, same age as Jordan and I. Also, happy late birthday, Jordan. And he goes in after losing his father to um, progressive and early onset dementia. Uh, he comes in with a note tattooed on his hand, on his arm rather, from his father. And goes to the Masters and plays absolutely insane. I think day one we just were sort of like this is an overshoot. I mean, I don't think he's actually going to end up winning. Um, yeah. The other guy though, Victor Hovland, was up there. He looked insane. I thought I took a, a live yeah. slip out on Victor Hovland after that performance of day one. He looked awesome, and Scheffler just couldn't putt. That was really our takeaways. Tiger played pretty bad day one, um, but he still was moving all right up until then. He was he's he was playing pretty bad though, and then Phil Mickelson was playing really well, um, and Brooks Kepka got off to a little bit of a weird start, and John John Rahm started that day a little strange, but then kind of brought him back in. Yeah, I believe he finished top five, right? So day one, um, the story of the day for me was there was a three way tie for first at the end of the day. It felt like to me Kepka kind of dominated the day, but then you looked up at the end of the round of, of the day. And you had Hovland, Kepka, and Rom. I think were the three all tied um, at seven under, obviously Hovland fell off a little bit after that, but it became, you know, Rom and Kepka down the stretch. But that first day was really interesting to see. I think three guys go 
pretty pretty deep under par, which I was not expecting um, to see seven under on day one. Completely agree, and I thought I thought it was interesting the dichotomy between you know Brooks Kepka coming in off of the full swing show. You think like this guy's putting is broken. He seems a little mentally broken, and right. Scotty Scheffler coming in number one golfer in the world. No one seems mentally stronger than him. His mm-hmm. putters on his his. I mean, his putting was not like. The, that was probably the lowest aspect of his game going into it, and it was still really, really good. Um, Scotty begins to fall apart in this day. Um, his putting is off. Brooks, on the yeah. other hand, looks completely opposite. Yeah, he looks locked in, ready to go, and he was putting well. Um, you also saw the reactions to the live guys. Not a ton of pop for Kepka, Cam Smith, or Phil Mickelson. So that was interesting to see the pa- uh, patrons not really getting too amped up for those guys. Transition out of Friday. I believe that was the day the trees fell, correct, Jordan? Or is that Saturday? I think the trees fell Saturday, I think, but that could be wrong. I don't really know. I think it was Friday. I I think the Saturday got snowed out or stormed out, not snowed out. And Friday, three trees fell and yeah. were inches from killing people, which is insane. Could you imagine if how I mean it, it it's terrible that, that happened, but thank God no one got hurt. I can't even imagine what would have happened if people died at the masters. That would be insane. Yeah. Um going into this, Sam Bennett. The amateur solidifies that he's actually, you know, making noise here, and he's actually come came here to play, um, and that's when this is when John Rom started to kind of rise up a little bit. Phil Mickelson playing great. The real story for me was Rory missing the cut. Um, he looked terrible, and also Tiger begun begins to sort of look pretty bad as well, um, and starts kind of lagging behind here. What stories stuck out from day two of the Masters? Yeah, so. Two biggest stories of day two for me were Sam Bennett shooting four under again, which was absurd. Didn't see that coming. It's you can believe it when it's one day and you're like, oh wow, this kid got really hot. And then you see him do it on day two and you're like, holy shit, is this yeah. is this gonna happen? Like, <laughs> is this kid for real? Um, but yeah, so Sam Bennett and then Rory, like you said, missing the cut. I mean, Rory was my pick at least to finish top five. He's my favorite golfer to watch. Um, super disappointed with how he played his performance obviously he he's got this dark cloud hanging over him now his whole career it, it feels like um when is he going to win his next major obviously but when is he going to win the masters and complete the grand slam it just feels like to me it, it it doesn't feel like it's meant to be right now but yeah that was disappointing to see i don't know exactly what he shot but he did not play well i think he was he ended up around 5 or 6 over which was really disappointing yeah not not good at all. I agree. Very, very disappointing. Um, I'm trying to find where he ended up. I, it's I can't even find what what he uh started as. Oh, another story that we missed was Will Zalatoris pulling out day one. Um, I believe with a back injury that was pretty interesting. But yeah. yeah, Rory, like you said, a black cloud. He started to fall apart for sure, and um, it was just tough because, like you said, he's really good, and this is the one thing that he hasn't won yet to complete the grand the career grant grant grand slam excuse me and uh just has not been able to get it done and i agree yeah. with you um i thought i thought that the sam bennett you know going into the shooting four under again um i just thought like oh boy here we come are we gonna see something here yeah. um and then yeah so transitioning now to day three we only played like nine holes before storms took everything out um video leaks sort of not leaks is just shown of tiger walking um, and he looks completely terrible. Um, I believe Saturday was the day that Tiger ends up withdrawing 
Um, yeah. We'll get into that a little bit. And then, you know, from there, you continue to see Rom perform. And Mickelson and Kepka and Spieth at this time start pulling ahead of everybody, and it starts looking real good for them. Um, let's talk about Tiger. He looked terrible um, on Saturday. He could hardly walk. Um, ends up pulling out because he says his plantar fasciitis is, you know, coming up again. Do you think this is the last time we see Tiger at the Masters? I don't. I, I think Tiger is – he's still good enough to play professional golf. And the Masters, I think he will try and play for as long as he is physically able. Obviously, he he withdraws due to injury this year. But, I mean, he basically told us, like, he wasn't worried about the golf. He was worried about the walking. And it's just it, – it's crazy to me that the PJ Tour – you know, won't make any sort of exception for Tiger to use a cart, honestly. And and they never will. I know they won't um, because there's too much tradition. And, but I just think it's ridiculous. Like if you just let the guy use a cart and even honestly, I know people are going to say that's an advantage, but if you let everyone use a cart, I don't care. Like he's, he's still clearly good enough at golf. It's just that his body's giving out on him and, I don't know. I, I'm not worried about um, Tiger in terms of how how talented he is, obviously, how good he is. I'm I'm more worried that walking these courses and especially like how hilly Augusta is and, and how the weather was, it was written on the wall, I think, the, the whole week that he was going to pull out. But not, I mean, good for him for making the cut. Um, you bring up an interesting point. I haven't heard that one brought up yet. The allowing Tiger to have a golf cart. Um, I actually think I disagree with you. I I don't think, I mean, I, I kind I'm kind of, I understand what you're saying because they're losing out on money when Tiger's not playing for sure. He, he draws the most attention. If you watched his group, it was, everyone was there around Tiger and then you cut to like the next highest group and it's not nearly as many people, um, the applause for him, the cheers for him are on another level. So Tiger clearly is the biggest superstar in golf. And once you lose him, you don't have a superstar. I think it's going to be a back and forth race between, you know, a bunch of guys now kind of trying to take the throne, but no one will take his throne for a while, I think. Um, So I do see what you're saying there in terms of like an economic sense, you want the eyes to be on the TV and, or to be there in person and what brings the most butts to seats, that's Tiger Woods. So maybe kind of letting him have the cart um, would help them do that. But I, I, I just don't really um, like them breaking the tradition because it's the masters and this, the yeah. whole thing is tradition. So, but I think it's an interesting idea for sure. Um, yeah. I, I thought this was a weird day. Really not a ton of golf was played. So not really much to take from it. Let's transition now to Sunday. Um, Sunday is when Sam Bennett begins to fall apart a little bit. Well, yeah. somehow this was the most shocking story for me. Phil Mickelson, finishes T2 with Kepka eight under. Um, how shocking was that Phil Mickelson finish for you? Very. And as good as Phil played, I think the biggest story surrounding Phil is no one really cheered for him. <laughs> I know. I know. I wanted you to bring this up. Continue. Um, he obviously played phenomenal. I think he shot seven under on Sunday. And if he puts this round together, you know, at last year's Masters, huge pop. I think the crowd goes crazy. Every putt that drops, every shot he hits, yeah. uh, he he'd have a huge crowd following him. But you can just see that 
these traditional golf fans are not feeling these live guys, even if it's Phil Mickelson, who's one of the best players of all time and used to be one of the most popular players in the world. So I think it's, it's crazy that he finished T2 and that all I can think about and all a lot of people can think about with Phil is that no one really cared. I completely agree. I, th- I think that's the biggest storyline coming out of this. Not to overshadow John Rahm's fantastic performance. John Rahm ends up getting the win here, shooting 12 under to win the Masters. Um, congrats to him. Great performance from him. But to me, that story is that no one gives a fuck about Phil Mickelson, I guess, um, because he's a live guy, because of his comments, because what he's been trying to do to golf, trying to be like the bad boy of golf, I guess. Um, it's just crazy to watch that a guy with his age who performed like him he's he's got to be the oldest guy or like that's the oldest guy to score that high right or at least finish that high right he's got to yeah, be one of up there yeah i think he was the oldest guy to finish top 5 and he finished top 2 t2 yeah so yeah. insane um yeah so and no one the the fact is that no one cared no one cheered and it really is him just he kind of made his career implode or his popularity implode not his career per se um, and the other thing is the fact that a live golf, two live golfers were in the, um, were T2 to me, that's an, and I mean, like to me, that's just crazy because going into it, the live guys were the guys that I stayed away from because I was afraid of their competition level one. And then two, how much they were competing in general. Um, so because of that, I was not betting on any live guys. I stayed away from Cam Smith and Kepka and, um, Phil Mickelson. So to see them come in. And perform like this, it's gotta hurt the PGA elitist, I think, right? A little bit. I would I would say so, but I think there's still a lot of arguments for like since Brooks was leading by four shots, I think at one point yeah. over Rom, and he ends up on Sunday completely falling apart. I think there's so much of the traditional fans now that are like see told you like <laughs> you can't you can't go mess around on the live tour and play in these 54 hole tournaments and then expect to come out and win the masters especially because the day he fell apart was sunday which yep everyone's saying is these live guys don't play on sundays now or, or they don't play 72 holes and i don't know if i quite buy that narrative but that's at least the narrative that people are going to push yeah that's a great point i mean I, I i completely agree with that i don't think it hurt PJ um, fans, because I mean, if you're fans of something, you're going to believe what you want to believe. You're not going to necessarily like look at what it is objectively per se. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I'm not a fan of live. Are you a fan of live? I don't know if we've ever really talked about this. No, I'm, I'm definitely not. I, I don't watch live. Obviously I'm not a fan of it, but I, I do understand like if I'm Phil Mickelson, someone throws 150 million at me and I'm on the back half of my career playing on, on PJ tour. I don't blame guys like Phil for going. I, I really don't. And um, like Ian Poulter, I would go in a heartbeat if I was Ian Poulter. Oh, yeah. um, if I'm Brooks Kepka and Cam Smith, those are the guys that I look at more and be like, really? Like you had, you had so much to accomplish. You were, you know, just getting started, especially for Cam Smith. But for Brooks, you're one of the best guys in the world. At, at one point, you were the best guy in the world. And now you're kind of just throwing away your legacy. So I look at it differently for different guys, I think. Not to mention, I mean, it would be you would think it would be him, Scheffler, Spieth, and Thomas kind of going back and forth for that top American golfer uh, yeah. for years to come. And I think he throws that away with um, going to live because there's just less eyeballs on him. 
Do you know how to watch Live? It's on the CW network. Do you even do? We yeah, even I, I haven't even attempted to. I don't want to. I think um, also DJ. I didn't even mention that oh, yeah. that because you know, he was the top five guy at the time that he went. I think and yeah. like their whole goofy like team thing that they're doing. I don't like. I don't know. I, I'm a I'm a huge PGA Tour fan, so obviously I'm not gonna like Live. Yep, me too. I think we're in the same boat on that. So, um, yeah, any other stories you want to cover from the Masters? Uh, I, I want to talk about one final thing before we go, and is that that's just uh, Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. Um, going into it, my favorite golfer going into it, um, obviously number one in the world. I think this does hurt his world ranking. Um, and how do you feel about him coming out of this tour? Well, the only reason I think it hurts the world ranking is because the guy who won the tournament was yeah number was number two yeah that that's <laughs> yeah. It, it's uh, not I I should have said I think it does hurt his world ranking yeah so I think Rom should go to number one but honestly I don't know exactly how the the rankings work Scotty's been playing out of his mind regardless of of how I mean he didn't play that bad like he played bad for let's be honest like he just he he didn't putt well um I think Scotty is a top two golfer in the world and I think it's that simple I think him and Rom are deserve to be spoken about on a different tier than everyone else right now. I think right now there's two number one golfers in the world and those two are going to be battling it out for however long until someone else comes along. So I don't think any differently of Scotty golf is obviously one of those sports where it's, it's who's playing well that day or, or that week. So sometimes the putts just don't fall and that's how it goes. I like that a lot. There's two number one golfers in the world right now. Um, I, th I think, I, I completely agree with that. That's the best way to look at it. I think Scott, Scotty and Rom, like you said, are the two number ones in the world. Um, everyone else is just not on their level right now. Um, yeah. the, the game is in a great spot. It really is. I think people are getting really good at it. I think there's more fans than ever right now. Um, Absolutely more fans than ever. And the equipment, everyone's getting really good. And I think this is what you're going to see in a lot of sports is that you're not going to see one guy that's better than everyone. You're going to start to see an evening out when talent and just opportunities for everyone becomes more widely available. I think you're going to see that a lot of people are going to even out and the competition is going to be even out. Um, on the downside, you don't get these, you don't get as many like superheroes like Tiger, but Tiger was once in a million. Um, so, I mean, you just got to respect him and appreciate him while he's still here playing. And, um, I think yeah, it's just going to be awesome. I can't wait. I'm I'm sad it's over. Honestly, I'm looking forward to the next major. But uh, there's nothing better than the Masters. It's the best. It's just the best thing. Um, yeah, that's gonna do it for us here. Wrapping up an amazing. I got, I got one last shout out. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, shout out to Freddie Couples for for making the cut and making. Oh yeah. <laughs> the Masters fun to watch. Whenever he was on my screen, I was rooting for him. He's got like a a lazy like sixty seven uh, man swing, <laughs> and I love it. He, I mean. Imagine being, what is he, 63, 67? I don't know. I think he's but 67. Making the cut when a guy like Rory, who's number three in the world, doesn't make it, uh, was just awesome to watch him play. So shout out Fred Couples. Yeah, shout out Fred Couples. I, 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 we should have shouted him out earlier. Good, That's a great shout out by you. Um, All right, that's going to do it for us here at the Lovecast. Uh, awesome fucking week of sports and happy birthday. It was Jordan's 21st on Saturday, and we got Thank to watch you. the Masters and some UFC. Um some NBA together, MLB. It was a great, it was a great day. I had a great time. So yeah, happy birthday to you. Shout out to Fred Couples, uh, the man, <laughs> for having an awesome. Hey, we, game. Should, we should probably shout out John Rom. We didn't really talk yeah, about. Shout him. Out, yeah, shout. We know we should probably <laughs> shout him out too. He's he's fucking amazing. We didn't give him his respect. Uh, John Rom is, like you said, top one uh, golfer in the world right now. So good win for him. Uh, 
you know, kind of sad to see the Masters go, but it'll come back next year. Um, yeah, looking forward to this new segment that we have with Peyton. And yeah, we're going to be posting more often. We tightened up ship a little bit. So get ready for better content and more of it. And yeah, we're going to be making moves. So stay tuned with us. And thank you all for listening. And we will be back very soon. Yeah. And peace. Shot it with y'all. Oh, hi. Coming to say you're lucky fine. We got to cutting it up. And I, she know about the kid and fuck on my line. I'm going to keep it up with y'all. But shorty, I'm trying to make you mine. Don't make it too easy. I want to try. She looking too good. Can't let it go by. Oh, yeah. Think I won the lotto. This slow mulatto. She could be a model. She want to show me some. Think I won the lotto. Yeah. This little mulatto. Yeah. Could be a model.